This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Bunker Daily. My name is Ian Dunt. I'm the editor of politics.co.uk, and I'm joined today by stand-up comedian Sindhu V. Hello, Sindhu. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. I basically am desperate to ask you about a delicate matter of what it's like to have COVID because sure. you you have had COVID yeah. and I'm kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, okay. I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it's one of those things. I feel quite lucky because I, I had it at a time when three or four people I knew were just ahead of me by a few days. And I had mm-hmm. like a 16 day really, really full covid thing. And so did they. So if I hadn't, this was early in March. I'd just come back from South Africa. Uh, probably not a good idea during a pandemic starting up to rub yourself all over a flight, but I couldn't help it. I mean, I wasn't rubbing myself, but you know how flights are. There. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so it, it is important to hear from people who've had it, who didn't end up in hospital, because the majority of people are going to be like that. And, you yeah. know, um, yeah. I don't have an underlying health condition, thank God. Um, but anyway, it was very good for me to talk to those people because they were like, okay, this is going to come and this is going to come. And it's such an unusual way to be sick that you need the guidance. You're like, what is happening now? You know, so for example, mm. so for, for me, it was 16 days of temperature every single day, which is a lot for an adult. <laughs> 16 mm. days of being 39, 40, 39, 40, 38 and a half, 39, 40. It wears you down. So there's temperature. There, well, I didn't have a big cold or a cough. But then around day 16, I experienced quite, quite I would say, noticeable breathing problems. And I never had asthma. So I was like, what is happening to me? You know, and that was, mm-hmm. that, that was scary. Because I think when you, I think here's the deal. When you can't really breathe, your body's like, holy shit. That's the bottom line. Right. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what the temperature is saying or this, that. It's just an instinct. And then, of course, me being me, I had that. And then I would immediately panic because asthma, I don't have panic attacks, have had so many, know exactly what they are, old friends. So <laughs> I had to spend these three days really talking myself out of panicking. Mm-hmm. Because then I would be, I would be completely psychosomatic. I'd be like, oh, my heart is racing. Oh, I can't breathe. That's it. I'd go hug my kids. Like, and they would be like, don't touch us. You're, what are you doing? You're supposed to be in quarantine. I was so crazy. (laughs) So nuts. It was so nuts. Um, And it's, I think psychologically, it's very, it was early on. There was very little information. I remember I got it my first day of, it started with this incredible body ache as if I had been working out. And as it had happened the day before, I'd done like seven and a half minutes of workout and I was feeling very virtuous. So I was like, oh, it must be the muscle pain from all the workout. <laughs> what a ridiculous person I am because I tell you what, it wasn't. And then um, off it went, you know, and I think it, I think the hardest thing was it was taking so long and it was everywhere. It was in my head and it was in my muscles and it was the fever and then it was the breathing and not a lot of information had come out. Because it was the 18th mm-hmm. of March and lockdown was like two days later. So suddenly all the GPs started closing and suddenly, you know, I would, so I couldn't get a hold of a doctor. I couldn't, 
And then suddenly at that time, it was like, if you go to the hospital, you're not getting out if you have COVID. And I was like, I don't want to go to the hospital and not get out. But first of all, the food in the hospital mm-hmm. is so bad. <laughs> I thought, what am I going to do? My friend was like, mate, you cannot really be worried. I'm like, I am worried about the food. I mean, if it's like hospital custard that they give you. No. <laughs> Ugh, it was awful. By the way, totally lost my appetite during COVID and reached my target weight. <laughs> it was that was such a highlight for me. I was like, "That's your COVID." Diet. Yeah, I okay. was like, "Oh my god!" I reached my target weight. It lasted like two weeks after I got better, but you know, I like one one scoop of ice cream at a time have worked my way back up. But hey, it's quite easy to to get sort of paranoid when you're sick and if you're experiencing the symptoms while all of that, well, at that particular moment in time, you know, everything's going into lockdown. There was quite a sense of anxiety and panic in like the outside world when you're watching TV and stuff. I can imagine that was actually quite a sketchy experience. Well, I think what happened for me was I didn't watch TV or anything. Cause I was so unwell. I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed for a few days. I just used to lie there and then someone would come. I think my husband and, and my husband had a mild version. So I know that cause there's two strains. There's like the five day. I didn't feel well. Oh shit. Look, I have antibodies. So I didn't watch the news, but I, what scared me the most was I couldn't get hold of a doctor. You know, when you feel very sick, you just call your surgery and you say, I'm one of those people that needs to be talked to today. And they say, okay, you know, but I was feeling so sick and you suddenly felt that the infrastructure weakened in, for a moment, the social mm-hmm. infrastructure. You know, one of the reasons I choose not to live in India which is a choice, apart from the fact that my husband would probably get food poisoning and die over there. But imagine <laughs> that he had a stronger stomach and we could live in India is because there's no social infrastructure. You know, there's no real, it doesn't work when you call the police or the ambulance or whatever, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. that scares me. That scared me when my parents were get as, as they were getting older. It was that moment here very briefly that week because things were starting to shut down. You call the surgery. There was just a message Meanwhile, you're on the phone going, <gasps> and you know that you can't go to the hospital. It was that scared me, not the news, but I thought mm-hmm. it was a f- tiny moment of feeling in free fall. However, it was very tiny because immediately you realize you have a lot of friends who are doctors. Excellent, excellent if you're Indian. I mean, literally just coming out of your ears. A lot of friends who are doctors. <laughs> and they, imme- I mean, my even, even my friends who are orthodontists, you know, they were on the phone to me. They sent me an oximeter, which, by the way, if you haven't bought, please buy one. It's really important. An oximeter. I don't know. Yeah, I don't so an know oximeter what it is. is something that you put on your finger and it gives you your oxygen reading because when your breathing is very labored, if you're still getting over 96, 95 on the reading, you're fine. We take so many things for granted that are really quite the NHS, my God. I mean, I mean, I've always loved the NHS, but I love it even more. We take it for granted. It really does its job when you know. it really does its job in a way that if you didn't have it for three days and you were Mm -hmm. very sick, you'd be like, holy shit. Yeah. I always get this thing when I'm, when I've got like the flu or even a cold, I sort of have this thing where I lie there and I'm like, I will never forget what this is like when I'm feeling okay again. Like I must remember to appreciate every moment of health that I have. And of course, like within fucking four hours of it going away, you forget about all that shit. If if you had to prepare a Corona preparation pack mm. uh, if everyone's thinking that at some point over the next two years there's a there's a chance i'm going to get this thing what would you put what would you put in that i thing? would put two physical and mental the first thing i'd put is up your vitamin c intake as far as you can without your stomach giving way right have a look 
it's kind of, I mean, if you feel like it's a bit peacetime now where you can go and talk to your GP and all, have a look at your vitamin mm. D. It's a huge, huge, huge factor. They've now seen that a lot in Asia. You have to find ways to insulate yourself from paranoia. This is something, I, by the way, I'm like, I'm borderline constantly paranoid. So for me to say that, it happened to me so early that I had no time to be paranoid. You see what I mean? And that was a real blessing. Otherwise, I'd have mm. been mad. I'd, every symptom, and I thought, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so insulate yourself from that, from the paranoia. Have the facts. Um, but, you know, every single day, it's like, well, the antibody test that they came out with is fake. Oh, now they have an Abbott one, and it's better. It's fine. Just, right? If you have an underlying condition, please don't listen to me because I'm not a medical expert. I'm not, you know, I'm not in a place to say what extra precautions you need to take. I'm talking about people like me who don't have an underlying condition that's at risk factor here. That's a risk factor. I would say that. I would also say that you need to find things that, you need to find some internal mental focus. I know it sounds ludicrous, but the fact is that it's very difficult to go outside just now. So we have to go inside. You need to find a way that pulls you inward. Otherwise, right now, the outside world doesn't have the time to take care of you. You have to take care of you right mm -hmm. now. And that could be anything. It could be a relationship. It could be your children. It could be cooking. It's something that takes you inside even for 10 minutes a day and you feel safe. And I think one of the ways to do that is to really have a word with yourself about social media. <laughs> you know, you know, I've moved off of Twitter. Like I very rarely tweet. I've put Twitter on the last page of my phone. Given that I have 7,000 pages I have to scroll because I've got so many ridiculous apps. Half of them are the ones the baby put on my phone, like drawing bears and shit. I'm like, fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck. I put it so far back. And I tell you something, Ian, I don't miss it. That's a sign. I don't miss it. I don't mm. ever think, oh, where's my Twitter? I, so I think you have to have those steps. And it's not for me to say what the what 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 will bring your focus in, what another person's focus, but you must have that. I think that's very important because right now the outside world is not there to take care of us. I was it, it struck me that it, it's quite this period is quite a uniquely strange one for you because you're someone who you're a stand-up comedian. <sighs> a lot of the stuff that you talk about is about family dynamics. Oh, yeah. And you're now in a situation where I imagine the family dynamics have gone up by 400, 500%, but you're unable to do the stand-up comedy <laughs> in a club. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's insane. Like, uh, you know, you have so many things you write down. You think, oh, I have to talk, do this material. And then you're like, to my dog, because, I mean, <laughs> who are you going to tell? You know what I mean? So... What's happened is one adapts. You know, I've started writing because at the end of the day, there are so many different muscles as a comedian. But of course, my favorite one is not my favorite. My, my home is stand-up. And stand-up is different than um, doing gigs online, which I love, which I'm very lucky I got. But the thing about stand-up is being in the room. And... I fully appreciate that that's not available to me and I miss it. But you see, I intend to do comedy until for the whole of my life. So I've had to adapt. And it's not been that difficult. It's like, oh, I have things to say. People are saying things that are funny in different ways. Uh, people say, you're going to write a book. Can I tell you, you've written a book. It's exhausting. 
to mm. even think about. I started, I took a piece of paper and I put, I took a piece of paper and I put, I thought I'll just write some of the material. And I was like, literally, this was me. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. There was just like this, and I was like, wait, uh, nothing. If, if in that moment you had put 300 people in front of me, I would have stood up and I would have done the material. So I'm learning mm -hmm. to adapt that. Uh, I'm doing a lot more on radio. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's a very, very different way of connecting with, because a lot of what I talk about has happened to me that day. And, you know, stuff that happens to me here, I, I've used, I sort of try and do a bit of, I put some stuff on Instagram sometimes, but yeah, it's a, it's a hiatus that I'm, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you are put in a situation you have no control over, you've got to find a way to make it work. Don't you? I mean, and, and also, if, who is it helping if I suddenly throw my hands in the air and say, oh, I can't do comedy? Well, then I'm the one who's fucked. You know, so I decided to do it that way. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I mean, I, I dream about gigs, you know? I dream about walking on stage and every fucking comic talking about corona for the rest of our lives. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> How is the family? I mean, you always, when you do your stand-up, you sort of present, which I presume is, is an exaggeration based on fact, of this sort of image of you as like Indian mum, bad cop, and your husband as Danish dad, good cop. Yeah. Is that the dynamic that's following? Well, I mean, first of all, may I just that? say that these terms, bad cop and good cop, are highly presumptive of the fact that we could use other terms. I could be Indian mum, extremely engaged, with the high achievement high achievements of my children that's one way to think about it why, why do you have to say bad cop i mean that's immediately negative and um my husband could be uh you know the the parent who is extremely engaged with the relaxation and happiness of the children so we don't have to put any other adjectives except engaged so yes that is, and it's it's not even an exaggeration i mean it's it's fact. I've noticed today they've decided there's certain age groups that aren't going to be going back to school. That are. Do you have any, at this point, do you have any confidence in what the government, in the decisions the government is making in school? No, I think when it's come to this entire quarantine lockdown thing in the UK, I think the UK has, we have a saying in Hindi, which is the washerman's dog is not, doesn't, is, is not a pet at home, nor does he live on the, on the riverbank with the other animals. He's sort of stuck in the middle. I think the UK's policy has been very much, are we this or are we that? You know, are we all of Asia, which is like clamping down and wear a mask and if you can't leave your house, or are we Sweden, who's like, do, 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 hello family, hoo, hoo, do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Which one are we? And I have just watched that. <laughs> I just watched this kind of, well, maybe we're this, please stay alert. Please, but don't do this, but use your sensibilities. But, you know, and it's been like no one wants to take a stand. None, none of the policy has been, you know, a strong stand. Similarly, with the school thing, I think letting in. OK, so Denmark is almost open now. Right. And I get a lot of my information from what's going on with my friends in Denmark or my family in Denmark. I think when it comes to schools, the government here is right to ab admit through its policy that younger children are less at risk and less, less of a risk. I think it's a very uh, weak message. 
and you're it's a little bit of a fact yeah you can do this and only this year can come and then we'll see and then but but maybe not this but if this doesn't happen but then you know what i mean i think they're basically mm-hmm. letting us decide what we want to do with the help of google <laughs> i th- i think that's what it is so i and and also i think that you know there's there's a lot of pushback if i'm right from the teachers unions you know i don't really read the news so correct me as soon as i go wrong but i'm not sure that teachers are that excited about going back but i think <laughs> No, no but not. I think all the information that the government has given adults who may be exposed to corona has been so, it's been so unclear and so weak. The only metaphor I can give you is when we make chai in India, you know, you make good chai, you commit it to this tea, right? You put in milk, you put in sugar, you put in the tea leaves, right about, you get this good, robust red chai. Sometimes people throw out that chai, I mean, like they drink it and then they rerun it through water. And it's weak, like because they don't put new leaves. They don't. It's just a bunch of old ideas they haven't thought through, and they just boil it. And that tea is gadeki mood. It's like donkey's piss. Frankly, I feel like the policy here around this, they've taken a bunch of other ideas, smushed them together, put them through, you know, the the system with words like stay alert and stay two meters from anyone and virus and don't go to the park, but go if you have to, but go to school, but not not if you don't want to. And they've given us donkey's piss. That's what I'm saying. Instead of a nice cup of tea, we have donkey's piss. I'm sorry, that metaphor really got out of hand, but I, I found that metaphor extremely compelling. Actually, I, I think you should be quite quietly satisfied with that one. <laughs> what are you going? I mean, are you, are you going to send your kids back to school? Well, you no, gonna... because the only years that are going back, my kids miss the whole thing because uh-huh. it's either reception year one or year six. I have two teenagers. One had GCSE, one had A levels. Totally cancelled. These guys are at home. Like, what the hell is our life? So I have, I, so I'm like, well, I'll give you some structure. This is a mop. This is a floor. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, you can't have teenagers lying on their ass playing FIFA all day, man. Can you not, is that not sort of what being a teenager is all about? Okay, you can have three hours, but not the whole day. Plus then, because, I mean, look, man, mm-hmm. when you're a teenager, you're so full of energy and you're so full of many things that are quite rebellious that if I just let that run wild, what am, what's going to happen to my house? Like, what the hell is going to happen to my house? <laughs> it doesn't fly. So with the teenagers, you know, I've given them structure around the house. And I think that's important. I think there's a kind of a simplicity that's re-entered our lives. I think for those of us who have families, we're eating together. Not everybody. I appreciate there's outlier cases and there's differences. But I think a number of people I've spoken to, we're eating together. We're doing things together because, well, we're all here, you know. and um, there's a lot more time. I'm spending a lot more time around my teens, even if they don't want me. They put their headphones on, they look at their phone. I just sit next to them and drink my tea loudly. And my son always says, bro, what do you need? I'm like, how are you? He's like, oh, God, I'm fine. But, you know, you you wear them down slowly because they have no way to get out. You just wear them down. <laughs> and then they start telling you how they're feeling. <laughs> you made it sound a little bit like The Shining, but yeah, sure. Well, I don't even know why you're saying little bit. It's a little. I think <laughs> Corona is giving me the chance to parent these children probably in a way that they don't necessarily wouldn't have signed up for. But, you know, I also think that we learn so much by example. But, you know, I was on tour last year and my children are away. Like, we're, we are not together as a family. My husband travels. I've been traveling. Now they see how we live. And that's how I learned from my parents. You know, I watched how they lived. 
and they see how I live and they see that my husband's extremely disciplined and he's at work. He's always upstairs working. So I think the children are like, oh, okay, this is how these two operate, you know? And I keep saying to them, aren't you happy you have such an excellent model for a good marriage from your father and I? And they just get up and leave the room. They just walk out. I'm like, what? You're so lucky. They just leave. They, they sound like sensible children. <laughs> Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time, man. It's, really, it's a pleasure. It's been great to be here. Thank you. And that's your Bunker Daily. We'll be back on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays with a main show on Wednesday. And patron supporters, don't forget our big drunken live show is this Thursday night. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ian Dunt. It was produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer is Jacob Archbold. On audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs>